Well, we welcome our online audience. We have a robust audience. Good morning. We're glad you joined us. Wish you were here. Thank you all for coming this morning, even though many of you knew what I was going to minister on, and you're still here. So, uh, yes, we're getting ready to do the most exciting thing that we could possibly do, and that is we're going to talk about fasting, and we're getting ready to fast. It's kind of like being excited about going to the gym and working out. You know, it's not, it's not the most fun thing that we can think about, but when we understand it, we can get excited. So uh, I don't know if you've fasted before or not fasted ever. Um, I'm going to share some things with you this morning to help you to understand what a fast is all about, the benefits of a fast, how to fast, and why we need to fast. You say, well, how could not eating help me? Well, we've tried it in diets, and sometimes it helps. But when we get God involved in a fast, we get supernatural power working in our life. So I'm going to start this morning in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Uh, we're going to talk about... You know, Paul had an understanding of some things that helped him to be a success. We're going to begin this morning by looking at what he says is going to help him to be a success or keep him from being a failure. So in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, starting in verse 24... He says, do you not know that in a race, all the racers compete, but only one receives the prize? So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Now, in a race, like a, a marathon or a 5K, or, there's usually just one winner. But that winner has done something on purpose to allow them to be the winner. They didn't just get up like I do of a morning and think, you know, oh, you know, and I don't do this, I mean, as far as making this decision, but, you know, one morning, I, it, let's just say I got up and I said, oh, there is a 5K race today. Hmm, I think I'll go run that race. Uh, how many of you think that I'm going to win? When I have not thought about it until this morning. I've not trained. I've not done anything to prepare for that race. So this is what Paul's saying. Uh, we are actually all in a race. And he's talking about that a runner, if they're going to win, they're going to make preparations ahead of time to win. And so he goes on to say, now every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither, but we do it, so he's talking about us as an uh, analogy for the athlete. They do it to win a wreath 
that will soon wither. But we do it for a different reason. We do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. So what is he saying that we are going to do that's going to have eternal value with it? He says that we're going to restrict ourselves in all things and live temperately. Then he goes on to say in verse 26, Therefore I do not run uncertainly without definite aim. On purpose he does this. I do not box as one beating the air and striking without an adversary. And let me tell you, we have an adversary. Eugene was talking about that in his mini-sermon. There is an adversary that's trying to cause you to stumble and not finish your race and not receive the blessed life. And so in verse 27, he says this, But like a boxer, I buffet my body. Now, probably most of you have heard preachers that say this, and I'm going to be one of them. It does not say, I buffet my body. We really know how to do that. But he says, I buffet my body, and then he explains it. He says, I handle it roughly. I discipline it by hardships. I subdue it for fear. So there's, there is a reason why Paul is using all these words that we do not put on our refrigerator. Discipline, buffet, hardships, subdue. He's talking about all these things for there is a reason because there is a fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it. Now let me tell you, just because a person is in the ministry... That doesn't mean they're going to be a success. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, I, I've proclaimed the gospel. You know, we could say he was a super apostle. And yet he said, I do all these things because, he says, I don't want myself to become unfit and not stand the test and be unapproved and rejected as a counterfeit. So he says there is a danger even for the most spiritual, supposedly spiritual person. There is a danger that they can miss it and fall by the wayside. And it's because of that adversary that he talks about. We have an adversary that's looking for an opportunity. And you know the most, the most often way he comes is through offense and strife. I just want to say that because, you know, it's, he's probably not going to come and try to get you to rob the bank. And probably many of you, he's not going to be able to convince you to co commit adultery. But he could convince you to get offended. And so Paul is saying, I do something with my body. And when he's talking about his body, I don't believe he's just talking about this fleshly thing that he walked around in. I believe he's talking about the walk of the flesh. 
See, we all know that, uh, hopefully we know, that we are spirit, soul, and body. We're a three-part being. But when the scriptures talk about the Christian walk, it talks about two ways that you can walk. One, you walk after the flesh, and the other is you walk after the spirit. So we have two ways that we can walk. And one, uh, uh, turn, with, turn with me to Romans, the, fifth, the eighth chapter. Let me just give you a sort of a, a biblical definition. Starting in verse 5, he says, For those who are according to the flesh, controlled by its unholy desires. Now let me just say this. Your flesh, we're going to find out what it is here in just a minute, has unholy desires in it. Even though you're born again, you may be filled with the Spirit. There's still unholy desires that's going to be presented to you from your flesh. And uh, he says, let me go back. For those who are according to the flesh and controlled by unholy desires, set their mind on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit and controlled by the desires of the Spirit set their minds on and seek those things which gratifies the Holy Spirit. So you walk by what you set your mind on. What you feed is what you're going to walk in. Whatever you feed, if you feed your flesh, your flesh is going to get strong. If you walk in the spirit and you feed the spirit, your spirit's going to get strong. And so, so we have this dilemma. Paul talks about it in several different places, but this dilemma is this. Our flesh wants to do something that is wrong, that has an unholy desire. If you've been feeding your flesh, the spirit on the inside of you, your spirit control that has the Holy Spirit in it, is going to say, no, no. Your flesh is going to say, I want to do it. The spirit will say, no. And guess who's going to win? But if you've been feeding your spirit, then your spirit gets strong. And so your flesh says, I want to do that. And your spirit says, no. And your flesh says, oh, okay. I just thought I'd ask. (laughs) That's the way it works. And so the next verse, which is verse 6, tells us about the mind of the flesh. Now, the mind of the flesh is sense and reason. Our senses and reasoning without the Holy Spirit. And what does it produce? It is death. 
And then the definition of death is this. It comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter. You want to be miserable? How many just are excited about being miserable? You don't have to raise your hand, but... Uh, if you're excited about being miserable, then walk in the flesh. Because that's what the flesh will produce. And it's the mind without the Holy Spirit. It's not factoring in what God wants in a certain situation. So, uh, let's see, uh, start with verse, let me, let me go back now. We've talked about what this, the mind of the flesh does. It's death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit... See, this is what we're after. The mind of the Holy Spirit is what? Life and soul peace, both now and forever. Life is not just breathing. Life is part, breathing is part of life. But the life it's talking about here is living like God lives. The Zoe kind of life. And that produces soul peace. Do you know of anybody that doesn't have peace? I can tell you, if a person doesn't have peace, they have set their mind on something that is not of the Holy Spirit. They've gotten in fear of something. But there is a way that we can walk in the Spirit. And let, uh, I'm, we're going to tell you before I'm through here this morning. So verse 8. So then those who are living the life of the flesh, and this is the way you live the life of the flesh. You cater to the appetites and the impulses of your carnal nature. The appetites. And if you do that, you cannot... Please or satisfy God or be acceptable to him. There's a lot of things that our flesh wants. That's what causes addictions. You know, they start, there's, there's the impulse to do it. And then the flesh begins to demand it and it becomes an appetite. And you know, it's not just addictions, but it's a, almost anything that your flesh enjoys can become part of the problem. Even television, even social media, even movies, something that seems generic, but it can demand more and more and more until you begin to fill your life with and set your mind on those things that don't produce life. You know, I experienced that. Uh, this year, I, I run across this one series. I don't know if I'll tell you what it is or not, but it is so fun to watch. It is a, it's a, a mystery, a detective mystery. Funny, so funny. 
And I would get through watching one episode, and I think, oh, just one more. So I'd watch another one. And then I think, just one more. And I'd watch another one. And uh, before the evening was over, I had watched four or five episodes. And I thought, is this good or not? Because the theme song for it was going through my head. You know, I'd wake up in the night, and it was like, there's, it's the jungle out there. And just, I mean, it was, it's funny. But I'll just have to tell you that part of my fast starting on Monday, tomorrow, I'm fasting that program. <laughs> and I've had to discipline myself and just slap myself and say, you are not watching anymore. So there. And the only way I could do that is if I've been feeding my spirit. Because our flesh demands, demands more, more, more. Until we get where we're not pleasing God. So, uh, verse 9. But you are not living the life of the flesh. Right? You're living the life of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit of God really dwells within you, directs and controls you. But if anyone does not possess the Holy Spirit of Christ, he is none of his and does not belong to Christ and is not truly a child of God. We have everything in us, if we're born again, to be successful, to walk in the Spirit. But you know who is control over whether your spirit's strong or whether your flesh is strong? Who would you suspect that would be? You set your mind on. You feed. God is not going to spoon feed you. And he's not going to slap you in the face or slap your hand when, you start, when you're feeding your flesh. You decide who's going to control you. So that's what a fast is basically about it begins to train us and discipline us to put the spirit down or Jesus called it crucify the spirit I mean this the flesh excuse me put this flesh down put the flesh down by the spirit so Jesus said Crucify the flesh. Does that sound fun to anybody? You know, it is not fun, but the results are great. And this is part of the Christian walk. It's a big part of the Christian walk. To be victorious and to be successful... It is important what we do with the flesh part of us. Now, I look at a fast kind of like boot camp. You know, there are um, C.E. and uh, Zeke and Mackay went to what is called Alert down in South Texas. And it is a spiritual boot camp, but it is a real boot camp. I mean, they have a, you can correct me, Zeke, but uh, 
They have a 24-hour hike. Is it 50 miles approximately? 60 to 50. 60 to 50. Okay. In 24 hours. They have trained for some weeks, but now they are putting that training to test. But it's like an intense training. Very intense. And when they come out of that, the way they should be, and you can tell me if it's working, Zeke, it should be that their life is disciplined from that time forth. Yes? They, I know that everybody that comes out of that, they have, they'll be up at sunrise, make their bed, I mean, go to the gym, whatever, no. Uh, but that's kind of what I see a fasting is. I'm reminded of Brother Hagin. He was talking about a fast. And he said, fasts are good, but fasting, but living a fasted life is better. Now, so what is living a fasted life? Well, it is if you have a bag of chocolate-covered pe pecans, which I actually do at my house. Living a fasted life is saying, I will eat one today and one only. I do that. A fasted life is not letting your flesh do what it wants to do whenever, just any time it wants to do it. It's like training your flesh like you should train your children. You know, a child that is raised uh, and disciplined as a child taught to discipline and limit and restrict their wants are adults that are able to discipline themselves in the things that they face. So a fast is for the purpose of not just denying your flesh, but there is another purpose, building up your spirit. And I don't know if you remember the episode uh, in Matthew, the 17th chapter, when Jesus and Ma uh, Peter, James, and John came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Jesus had been gloriously transfigured. And uh, they came down, and in the valley, there was kind of an uproar going on. And there was this man that had brought his son that had epilepsy. And he had brought his son to the disciples. There was nine of them down there waiting. And so the, he had brought them to the nine disciples, and they could not cast the devil out. So, they, so then when Jesus shows up on the scene, he comes to, uh, the father comes to Jesus and, and explains the situation. And he makes the statement, um, I, uh, I brought him to your disciples, and they, couldn't, they were not able to cure him. This is in uh, Matthew 17. And, and then Jesus said, Oh, you unbelieving 
warped, wayward, rebellious, and thoroughly perverse generation. How long am I going to remain with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. He was saying, what's wrong with you guys? And he begins to, you know, he, that's pretty harsh words. So just by that, we know that he expected these disciples to be able to do what they needed to do. Because in another, like in Mark, when it talks about it, it's, it, he had already given them authority to cast out demons. But they couldn't do it. And so Jesus, uh, of course, he rebuked the demon, came out. The boy was okay. And then the disciples asked Jesus privately, why could we not drive it out? That's a good question. You know, we in the body of Christ, we've prayed for people many times, and nothing happened. And we could ask the same question. Why were we not able to do it? Your word says we can. Why were we not able to do it? And Jesus said unto them, verse 20, because of the littleness of your faith. It's a faith issue. Faith comes out of your spirit. Your flesh does not have any faith in it. Faith comes out of your spirit. So Jesus went on to say, uh, because of the littleness of your faith, that is your lack of firmly relying trust. For truly I say to you, if you have faith that is living like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to yonder place and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. So he's saying, listen, your faith was little. If you had faith, if you really had trust, nothing would be impossible to you. You could say something and it would come to pass. That's how powerful it is when you have faith in your spirit. And then he made this statement. Verse 21, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about the demon, yes. But the unbelief does not leave you without prayer and fasting or fasting and prayer. So, if you deny your flesh... In a fast, that's half of the equation. Only half of the equation. The other half is prayer. Now, as we enter into this fast tomorrow, I want to encourage you to spend time, more time than you've ever spent in prayer. That's going to build up your faith. You know how I know? Because Jude 20 tells me. But you, beloved, build yourself up, founded on your most holy faith, 
making progress, rise like an edifice, higher and higher, what? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and put up verse 21. Guard and keep yourself in the love of God. Expect and patiently wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which will bring you into eternal life eternal. Go back to 20 again now. So if you build yourself up through prayer, you rise higher and higher. Your spirit gets stronger and stronger, and that will enable you to be kept in the love of God. Do you know if you walk in the love of God, which is basically walking in the spirit, if you walk in the love of God, the devil has no power over you. He can only come into your life if there's an open door of sin or selfishness, which is actually one and the same. When you walk in selfishness, you are walking in sin. I mean, it's a simple thing to get out of it. You say, Father, I'm so sorry. I got offended. Oh, again, I'm sorry. And then, you know, you're cleansed. The door's shut. But we are moving forward. We're raising higher and higher and higher and higher until our flesh has no power in our lives. And I can tell you, over the last year, I have prayed more in the Holy Ghost than I've ever prayed in my whole life put together, probably. And I've faced the worst, probably the biggest challenges that I've ever faced in my life. And it seems like I have flown through it. Like I was on top of it. Imagine that. And I look back and I say, Lord, how did that happen? And it was his grace. His grace. That enabled me to do what I couldn't do on my own. But any time that we get lax and we, we uh, put aside the feeding of our spirit, guess what takes over? Your flesh. It's kind of like uh, the difference between the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. Lift, yeah, okay. The law of lift lifts the airplane up and they do things that you say, that's impossible. I mean, that thing weighs a whole bunch. That airplane really weighs a lot and yet there it goes. Way, 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 way up there. But let me tell you, if the source of the power of that airplane quits, guess what's going to take over? The law of gravity will take over really quick. And that's the way it is in our lives. Our carnal nature, this is what Paul calls it, our carnal nature will take over if our spiritual nature is not fed. So we're getting ready to enter into a fast where we're going to deny our flesh something. But we need to feed our spirit at the same time. 
At first, you're not gonna like, your flesh is not going to like it. It's going to scream, oh my goodness. It screams. You know, it's the way it is with me when I get up and I think I should do some setups. And I think, no, my body, oh, no. I don't have time for setups. I have time for food. And so I eat breakfast. I mean, it's so easy to do the easy things that the flesh wants you to do. It's kind of hard when you start. I imagine when Zeke started out at alert, a 50-mile hike looked pretty impossible. I mean, it sounded impossible to me. But he began to build himself up. So... Uh, why should we, or what should we fast? What should we fast? You're probably asking yourself that. You know, what should you fast? So I want to look at uh, Isaiah 58. We're going to listen in on a conversation that God had with the children of Israel. And they were complaining. They said, we are fasting I mean, we are, we, we do the do's and we don't the don'ts. And you're not paying any attention to us. And um, then in verse 4, God begins to answer back. Actually, he does in uh, earlier, but I want to start in verse 4. The facts are, you fast only for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Now, what he's saying is this. You fast for a show, but your heart is doing something different. I mean, you may be doing something wicked, but you're saying, yeah, but I fast. So that must make me righteous. Or must make me religious, because I'm a great faster. And... Um, God is saying, this is why you're fasting. Fasting as you do today will not cause your voice to be heard on high. So let me just say this. If you fast incorrectly, it's not going to make any difference in your life. But fasting does open up a portal for God to hear your prayers. Is such a fast as yours that I've chosen a day for a man to humble himself with soul sorrow? Is true fasting merely mechanical? Is it only to bow down his head like a bulrush, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him do to indicate a condition of heart that he does not have? Will you call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? See, he's, when, he's, when God looks at a fast, he looks at the heart. He's looking at your heart when you fast. And then he begins to explain what pleases him in a fast. Now, this will surprise you probably. Because he doesn't talk about going without food one time. We tend to think of a fast is going without food. And, it's, and that's a good part of it if that's what you want to do. 
I usually fast a certain food group, which is sugar. I refuse to eat any desserts because that's kind of, you know, the Daniel fast, when Daniel fasted, he did without meat and he did without pleasant food. Now, I'm not going to do without meat, but I'm going to do without pleasant food. So, of course, that's desserts. How pleasant is a great big piece of chocolate cake or a cheap piece of cheesecake? I mean, that is really pleasant. So, I, you know, that's, that's part of what I'm going to fast. Um, so, he says, but this is what he says. Rather, is it not the fast that I've chosen to loose the bond of wickedness, to undo the bands of of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and that you break every enslaving yoke. So he's talking about the benefits of the fast, first of all. He's saying there are benefits when you fast. If there's something in your life that needs to be loosed out of your life, if you are, have oppression in your life, if there is an enslaving yoke in your life, when you fast, you can believe God that that's going to be broken in your life. And let me just say this at the beginning. When you fast, you need to have a reason that you're fasting. Now, corporately, I believe the reason that we're doing a corporate fast is because we as a church are getting ready to go into a promised land. And uh, we know that any time that a, a group of people start to move forward, they are al always contested by the enemy. Always. So we as a church, we're going to fast because we're going to be prepared to fight the enemy that would try to use any one of us to cause disunity, or whatever he's going to try to use. But we're going to take the offensive. And we're going to fast. And we're going to prepare us a people. Now individually you may have some rewards of the fast that you're going to believe for. For sure. At the very beginning set the rewards of the fast. What is it you're going to set your faith on? What do you need in your life? What kind of freedom do you leave, need in your life? Set that as a goal. Uh, and it's something God's going to have to do. So then verse 7 says, Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked that you cover him and that you hide not yourself from the needs of your own flesh and blood? So he's saying, listen, if you are a selfish person, a fast, you need to begin to look outward. Meet the need of somebody else. That'll crucify your flesh. That's a, that's a crucifixion to take time out for somebody else, to think of somebody else. When your whole mind and heart and everything has been surrounded with your problems and you and you and you and you. But I'll tell you, there's healing in that. After Pastor passed away uh, a year ago, um, 
I, I would have days where the sorrow and the pain was so intense that I didn't think I could get through that day. And the Lord began to show me the way to get over it, get over that pain. I would think of somebody that needed encouraged, somebody that might need prayer, and I'd call them up, and I'd encourage them, and I would pray for them. And when I was done, it was like, no pain. There was healing in thinking about somebody else. Because a lot of the pain that comes through any of those things like I faced or what you're facing, it comes through self-pity. Feeling sorry for ourselves because we've lost something. And you know what? You do lose things, but we do get through it. And so, and it talks about your own family. It talks about taking care of the needs of your husband or your wife or your children. And then verse 8 says something wonderful is going to happen. Then, you sh then shall your light break forth as the morning, and your healing, your restoration, and the power of a new life shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness, your rightness, your justice, your right relationship with God shall go before you, conducting you to what? Peace and prosperity how many of you want that i mean that's something that we all enjoy but sometimes we don't want to pay the price and he says your light's going to break forth then you're going to call see i, I skipped something here and the glory of the lord shall be your rear, rear guard whoa now we talk about glory but we don't know what glory is glory is the manifest presence of God in your life. That's when the exploits takes place. That's when you lay hands on the sick and they recover. That's when you speak to the mountain and it moves. The glory of God begins to manifest itself in your life. How cool is that? The presence of God begins to be more and more real in your life. And uh, verse 9, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here am I, or here I am. If you take away, then he talks about some things that we need to fast. Maybe forever. The, if you take away from you, your midst yokes of oppression, wherever you find them, and the finger pointed in scorn toward the oppressed and the godly, and every form of false, harsh, unjust, and wicked speaking. That must be banned from your life. Criticism, harshness, get hold of your mouth. That's a pretty big fast. And if you pour out that with, with which you sustain your own life for the hungry, satisfy the need of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your obscurity and gloom be as the noon day. He will, God will satisfy you continually in drought, dry places. Your bones will be strong. You'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. 
So he says, when you fast properly, something great is going to happen. Now, a lot of you weren't here on um, Wednesday night when I talked about uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter, where it says, you are the light of the world. Let the whole world see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good works. This is what he's talking about here. And so he says, if you do these things, then, come on. Okay, there we go. Then your light's going to spring forth. You're going to be a light everywhere you go. This is what Jesus has said you need to be. Quit blending in with the world. Quit doing things the way the world does them. You're not going to be a light if you do that. But if you go through this and do what he says in this fast, then this is what's going to happen. You're going to become a light. And so um, I want to... uh, read this last scripture out of three different translations. And First of all, I want to read it out of the Amplified. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, Holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God. Which is your reasonable, rational, rationable, no, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Uh, Be not conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourself what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. When you lay down your flesh, put it... Give it to God as a sacrifice. You're going to know the will of God. You're going to hear the voice of God. Uh, Let's look at it in the TPT. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourself to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights God's heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. We're going to be doing that tonight. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will. As you live a beautiful life. Satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Now let's look at that in the message. 
So uh, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. This is what we want to do this week, these next 10 days. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed, hallelujah, from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's our goal. And I want to, I, I said that was the last, but this is a, a companion scripture. Matthew 5, 48 in the message. So in a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. That's what it's all about. You know, if we looked at 2 Timothy 4-7, we would see the end result of what Paul did. We started with Paul. How he says, I buffet my body. I harden it to difficulties. I, I discipline it. I subdue it. Can you put up there um, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8? And this is what he said. I fought a good fight. A good, worthy, honorable, and noble fight. I've finished the race. I have kept firmly held. I have kept firmly held the faith. And to that, and as to what remains, henceforth there is laid up for me the victor's crown of righteousness, for being right with God and doing right, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me, and recompense me on that great day. And then he goes on to say, and not for me only, but you that are looking for his appearance. Paul survived. He survived the tests. I mean, he had a lot of things against him, but he survived and he did not become a castaway. But he did something about his flesh. So that's what we're getting ready to do, individually and corporately. So I'm just uh, suggesting that you find something that you can fast and you ask the Lord, what is it? You know, I know I'm, I'm going to fast uh, the, I'm going to fast the sugar. I'm going to fast the television program. I'm not going to fast football. Um, if the, if it playoffs was over, I probably would, but, uh, <laughs> but I can take it or leave it. So, um, what is it that, that you, I mean, maybe you want to go on a full fast. I have gone on a, a juice fast, a three-day juice fast. Um, 
I have gone on uh, a full fast with just water. Um, I don't know, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. But choose something that you can put your faith on that you're going to get the reward out of it. Now, I asked the Lord at the first of 2023. I said, Lord, what is your word for 2023? He gave me two words. Renew and restore. And as I began to seek the Lord about that, the Lord let me know that we are in a state as a church of renewal. There's some things that God is renewing in us. Some new things that he's bringing into our lives. But then he said, restore. And I knew what he was talking about. When a church goes through what we went through this last year, when our pastor went on to heaven, I do know that many probably have struggled with their faith. Their faith has maybe been a little bit tarnished or uh, lessened or whatever you want to call it. But this year, I believe that the Lord is saying, I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore you back to robust faith as individuals and as a church. And so that's my, that is my purpose. That should be all of our purposes for this church. That as we go through this fast, that God will renew, renew our minds if it needs to be, show us what to do. When I was ordained over at Ramah, uh, the word that came to me through Kenneth Hagin Jr. was, uh, just follow me. And I will tell you what to do. And it's all going to be good. Simple word. But how powerful is that? Just follow me. Just follow me. I'll show you what to do. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be fine, he said. So that's where we're at as a church. That's where we're at individually. He's going to restore. He's going to renew. And it's all going to be good, and it's all going to be fine as we go forward. Stand with me. Now, I'm going to pray for you this morning as you go into this fast. I hope, you're going to, I hope that you will go into it excited. Not the way you would do if you were going to the gym for the first time. But excited. Because this is your opportunity to be the light of the world. To shine forth. Get that flesh out of the way. I do have a, a basket there that I could put over it. Because that's what we do. Our flesh puts a, a basket over our light. And we look just like the rest of the world. Dark. Let's don't do that. Let's go out of here and let's shine. So bright that we will draw all men unto Jesus. First of all, I want you to bow your head. If there's anybody here that has not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, this is the first day of the rest of your life. 
and you can make Jesus the Lord of your life today. If that's you, raise your hand. Anybody here? Okay. I think it's all family, but I just wasn't sure. You just, just want to make an opportunity because that's the best decision you can make on the face of this earth. It has eternal consequences. Now, you know, we're not forcing you to fast. You don't have to. It's just something that we're going to, you know, we're making it, giving you as an advantage. And you know that if you fast these next 10 days, you got people doing the same thing you're doing. They're fasting, putting their flesh down. They're denying themselves. So how many of you right now already know what you're going to fast? Let me see your hand. Okay, that's a lot of you. Good. Thank you for joining us. Some of you may not know, and maybe you don't feel like you can. Uh, it's whatever, you know, it's your choice. We love you just like we love the fasters. Love you all. You're special to God, and uh, we're just going to do this because this is going to be a good year. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.